0: Jim, we couldn't reach you, so we went ahead with the job, and I know you're really gonna dig it. But if you don't, I suppose we can always tear it out. Welcome to 200 A Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. As per usual, I'm Nathan Paletta,
1: And I'm Epidio Ravishaw. We have yet to switch roles.
0: For now, we remain who we are. And we are back to talk about another season two episode, Epi. Why did you pick this this particular episode for us to talk about?
1: I picked this particular episode because um, longtime listener and close friend of mine, Sam Anderson, brought up the whole pizza gag, which we'll get into. Went on about it at length, and at some point, I realized it had been too long since I'd seen the episode, and I didn't quite get the context of all of it. So I thought I'd watch it, and what better way to watch the Rockford Files than to watch it for two hundred a day?
0: Uh, So this is season two, episode one. So starting off our second season of the show, the Aaron Ironwood School of Success, which I also remembered the pizza gag and also recalled that there's some good Rocky interactions in this one. Yeah. And I don't think that I was disappointed. This episode is written by Stephen Cannell and I think has some of the hallmarks of what I'm starting to, to think of as the Cannell style, which is... These slightly more outlandish setups mm-hmm. for a lot of the a lot of his scripts, uh, or maybe less less rooted in how things quote unquote actually would work, um, and a little yeah. more fantastical. In setting up problems for Jim to solve. Uh, Juanita Bartlett is credited as story consultant. This is prior to her kind of coming on as a full-on writer, but the script shows, I think, the typical tightness that we'd associate with uh, with both of them being on the, the writing team. And it's directed by Lou Antonio, who directed a episode that we've covered previously, The No-Cut Contract, which is also a strong season two episode. Uh, did Campbell write that one as well? Let's find out via the 200-a-day Rockford Files files. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Cannell wrote uh The No Cut Contract as well. And also that one has a guest star of probably higher notoriety than the the guest star in this one. Kind of the center of our story in this episode is played by uh, James Hampton, who has been in a lot of things that I recognize but have never seen myself, but that you might, such as the 80s Teen Wolf series. He was in The Longest Yard. He was in The China Syndrome, kind of all these older classic genre films and was just in tons and tons of tv shows through the the 70s and 80s as
1: was his hair which is important (laughs) because his hair should get its own billing in this episode
0: i'm not sure if it really is up to the rob reiner's mustache no no level set in no cut contract but it's still pretty good um and also this one's Season two, this is airing in 1975, uh, so this is another good episode for peak 70s fashion.
1: I I wanted to just point out, if you've not seen the episode yet and you're wondering, in, in your head you're envisioning all sorts of weird hairdos. I could put your mind to rest. It is precisely the hairdo you would find on a Lego <laughs> gentleman. It's almost exactly, might have been the model for it.
0: Somehow it has been shellacked without actually being shiny. I don't understand. Yeah. It, it doesn't move even when he gets into fights later.
1: <laughs> when you look at it closely, there is a an interesting and tight weave going on. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> anyways, this episode is not about his hair, but if you have a chance, pause <laughs> and examine closely
0: at least we do get to see the first the first sight of his uh his quaff in our preview montage
1: Yeah. The thing about the preview montage that stood out to me was that it is all about the money. It's all about the Mm -hmm. Benjamins. It's two hundred million, it's a hundred million, it's twenty million, it's they just keep stating over and over again these massive quantities of money, which Mm -hmm. delight me because the more the money, the less likely Rockford is going to (laughs) be able to hold on to any of it. Right. Also we get to see Beth, and Mm -hmm. it's been a while. For 200 a day, since we've seen like a good Beth episode, this actually isn't a good Beth episode, but there is Beth in this episode, so it's it's a delight.
0: And then it wraps up with a a good old-fashioned someone's threatening to kill Rockford. But they can only kill him once. So we got lots of money, we got Beth, and we got someone's out to put Rockford in the ground. So I think we are already in.
1: We are in. 200 a day
0: is supported by all of our listeners, but especially our gumshoes. For this episode, we say thank you to Mike Gillis, a host of the Radio vs the Martians podcast, is the McLaughlin group for nerds, com. Kevin Lovecraft, part of the Wednesday Evening podcast All-Stars actual play podcast found at misdirectedmark.com, Lowell Francis with his award-winning gaming blog at ageofravens.blogspot.com, Shane Liebling, Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, and Adam Alexander, And finally, big thank yous to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter, at Richard Haddam. We've recently updated our Patreon with new opportunities for sponsorship, so check out patreon.com slash 200 a day and see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. This episode has a lot of exposition delivered via dialogue, um, Mm -hmm. especially in the first part to kind of get us up to speed with why we should care about various characters, so... If we bounce around a little bit because of that, it's just to try and do do summaries uh, instead of belabor exactly when certain pieces of
1: exposition are given. I I would like to point out that a lot of this exposition via dialogue follows the rather uh, straightforward rule of don't let your dialogue do just one thing, which is great. Because almost all of it is not just exposition, it's exposition and revealing um, the relationship between certain characters, or it does double duty throughout.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We start off in Rockford's trailer as he's getting ready to get out the door, and he is on the phone with his dad Rocky. Rocky's been waiting for him. He's kind of in a tizzy, because he feels like they're running late. Uh, They have to be at the airport at 2.30 to pick up old Aaron. Rockford is obviously not as stressed out about this as Rocky. He tells him to grab himself a beer and turn on some roller derby. Be there in 15 minutes.
1: I like this insight into uh, how Rocky might relax in the evening. I would not have pegged him for a roller derby fan.
0: I don't know if he's a roller derby fan or if Rockford is, uh, you know, making a pop culture reference at his expense. But yeah, he heads out of his trailer and immediately is intercepted by a couple of goons um, in, you know, nice... Dark suits, holding guns underneath folded newspapers. All of our visual cues for mob guys. They invite him into the car uh, before he can get to his car. But unfortunately, their engine's flooded and they can't get get going immediately.
1: (laughs) Rockford is very helpful in this scene.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's trying to give advice uh, to help get the car started and no one will listen to him to their detriment. This is uh, Chekhov's flooded car engine. It's been <laughs> yes. introduced now. Keep it in mind. Comes back later. Um, but some some helpful passerby come by to uh, ask if anything's wrong with the car, and the these abductors um, clearly don't want to you know be flashing guns in front of the public or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Rockford, thinking on his feet, uses the opportunity to. Uh, like oh well i'll go and call the mechanic you guys stay here he gets out of the car uh and starts starts leading them off on a merry chase
1: uh notably as he's heading off he can't go into a full run because he's limping mm-hmm. uh
0: so this limping will will get to textually in the episode in a little bit mm-hmm. but this is a, a an opportune time to remind everyone that james garner had to have knee surgery in between every season of the Rockford Files. Mm-hmm. And so since this was the first episode of the second season, he he was still recovering from his knee surgery uh, during, I guess the, the production of these first couple episodes. I think I remember we talked about this a little bit in the gear jammers two-parter because that's also early. That's, season, that's episodes three and four. And he was kind of limping in, in a lot of those scenes as well. Yeah. But yeah, he 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 was so active doing the active part of his role, and he had bad knees because of football injuries, that he just got surgery every year, uh, which is intense. Yeah, it's fun.
1: It's, a, it's like a holiday.
0: Well, he limps through the uh the the snack shack on the beach mm-hmm. the uh and manages to get to Pizza Dan's little <laughs> Volkswagen that's all outfitted with the we deliver sign on the front and Really gross looking pizza decals on the, the hood and, and side. The
1: pizza decal on the hood is so horrifyingly realistic. It's it's like bad food photography is what it is. It's, yeah. it's what food really looks like, not what food photography makes food look like it.
0: And it's not like an abstraction of a pizza. No. <laughs> like it's just a bad drawing of a pizza. Dan is getting into the car. He pushes Dan away and says, sorry, Dan, got to borrow your car. <laughs> And toodles out in the pizza delivery uh, Volkswagen. Our goons pursue. They do get their car started, but he's able to lead them on a merry chase through the parking lot onto the sandy beach. And their heavy sedan gets bogged down, and he's able to get away. And then we have the titles for the episode over a little montage of him kind of off-roading back to the back to the highway and
1: getting to to go to Rockies. This is this is a fun tiny little you know, Rockford car chase, but it has the, that sort of hallmark where Rockford assesses the situation and is like, I bet they can't follow me here. Mm-hmm. Uh also I really enjoy that uh, musically it's banjo time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. There's not really any music in the, f- until he gets into the car. Right. He pulls up to Rocky's place in the, uh, in Dan's pizza delivery uh, vehicle. Rocky looks like he's going to either a wedding or a funeral. <laughs> He's, he's in a his, his clearly his fanciest suit. Rockford gets out of the, the delivery car, and I will note, he is munching on a slice of pizza. <laughs> yes. Clearly, Dan was going to go on a delivery. So, we clearly see Rockford eating a piece of stolen pizza that he, I would imagine, never actually pays for.
1: I was thinking about this, too, because this is Grand Theft Auto and... Pizza theft. I don't know if pizza qualifies as grand theft, but uh, <laughs> this is uh, for for a start to an episode. Rockford is in deep already.
0: Rocky is not happy. Not only are they running late, <laughs> he wants to impress Aaron, and he's like, "We can't go to the airport in that. We're gonna have to rent a sedan." <laughs> and Rockford kind of talks him down. Look, before we go, I need the I need to go in. I need to make a phone call. This is the uh, the first reference to his limp, I think, as he's going into the house. Yes, Rocky asks him what he's limping for.
1: This is the. Where he was fishing and fell off the pier? Is that his mm-hmm. excuse this time?
0: Yeah, I think the term for this is lampshading. Is that right? Where it's like, here's a thing that you're going to notice in this episode. Right. So a character just says it.
1: Yeah, like like to make it obvious that we know he's limping. Right,
0: in the show, everyone is wondering why he's limping. But yeah, Rockford uh, puts in a call to our good friend, Sergeant Dennis Becker. Right. Uh, other than Rocky, our kind of standard cast appearances here are pretty sparse. But this one is very memorable because Dennis is super excited because he took his lieutenant's exam and he placed fifth on the list, which means that he's way closer to making lieutenant than he thought he was going to be.
1: There are some ups and downs over the course of his career uh, as he attempts Mm -hmm. to become a lieutenant. Dennis's career as background material is great stuff, but I love this exchange because Jim has just come from being abducted by mobsters, let's say. And, uh, then he had to steal a car to get away from him and nobody he talks to (laughs) cares. They all have their own exciting news to tell.
0: Yeah. Rocky's too concerned about getting to the airport. And then Dennis is too excited about his lieutenant's exam. Yeah, Yeah. And so, uh, Rockford keeps no selling the enthusiasm. He's like, yeah, that's great, but I need to tell you this. Yeah. And uh, Dennis just kind of steamrolls over him with all of his uh, exciting news. But then finally, Rockford does acknowledge, that's great. I'm very happy for you. Now, will you please take down this license number so I can find out who (laughs) jumped me? And I think because Dennis is in such a good mood, he's like, all right, no problem. Yeah, we'll take care of this. (laughs) One of the few times that he uh, just does what Rockford asks. So in... Our first kind of example of some exposition doing multiple things. He's telling Dennis about it uh, on the phone. Rocky's overhearing him say, I had three guys jump me. Yeah. And Dennis is like, make sure you tell Rocky, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. he hangs up and is like Rocky great news about Dennis and Rocky of course is concerned about Jim Mm -hmm. and wants to know when he's going to give up all this fool business because he's just putting himself in danger and now Rockford is the one who's like just ignoring what he's saying and talking about what a great thing it is for Dennis and how close he is to making lieutenant now
1: yeah it's it's this great opportunity to change the subject and he keeps attempting and of course rocky is not not having it he's uh worried about jim but what i like is how these conversations plug into each other yeah you know he shows up and all rocky cares about is how bad this is going to look when they arrive at the airport to pick up aaron and then jim gets on the phone rocky hears that jim has been in trouble Dennis doesn't care that Jim's been in trouble and is telling him about all of the great news that Dennis has. He gets off the phone. Rocky now wants to berate Jim for leading a life that would lead to this kind of trouble. And so Jim's using Dennis's great news to try and push that off. And then I think the very next moment is where we get like kind of the culmination of these threads
0: yeah these all come together where rocky starts using aaron as the counterexample to jim yeah look you know you could be doing so much better look at aaron he had no parents and now he's worth a hundred million dollars or more <laughs> So, so those threads all kind of come together to tell us a little bit more about Aaron, who we still don't know anything mm-hmm. about. That he had no parents, but now he's a big success. He's worth a ton of money. And the reason that Rocky is so nervous is because he wants to impress Aaron. So all these signifiers of like not being wealthy, like right. this d- pizza delivery car, are embarrassing.
1: You can't show up with a car with words written on it.
0: And he's like mad at Jim for not wearing a tie and like all those kinds of those kinds of things.
1: I think it's this is the conversation where he also goes on and he has these Verbal daydreams about Aaron giving Jim a job. Yeah.
0: His company has a trucking division.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you could, you can drive truck like you've always wanted to.
0: The next scene is just the two of them in the, in the pizza delivery car going to the airport and continuing this conversation. Yeah. where Rocky kind of breaks down for us a little bit. Also, you know, Aaron has all these projects. I may, he'll hire you Mm -hmm. his real estate company. He has a school of success. And then he also starts reminiscing about like, remember back when he came to live with us? (laughs) So we finally get, that's the connection. Yeah. Aaron Ironwood, his parents died when he was young. He bounced around between foster homes and for a while he stayed with uh, Rocky and Jim when Jim was a kid back in the day. And that Jim and Aaron, they were tight back then. Yeah. They ran around together.
1: I love this look into their past by the way. This is another piece of the Jim Rockford puzzle that uh, as this episode unfolds we'll find out that Jim has always been a bit of a ne'er-do-well. And So a question maybe to ask by the time we get to the end of this episode is who's responsible for that? We'll We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later.
0: Through all these accolades that Rocky is putting on Aaron, Mm -hmm. we see Jim getting more and more mad about it. And he finally kind of snaps and he tells Rocky to shut up. Yeah. And then Rocky gets mad. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, why are you being mad at me? Jim makes the very appropriate point based on what we've seen in the episode so far. You're talking like I'm not worth anything. Mm -hmm. You don't think I'm worth spit, is what he says. And Rocky, he doesn't really apologize. Well, he does. He kind of apologizes. And he says that he does. He is proud of him, but it's just like different. Yeah. They just live in different worlds. Rocky's worried about him a lot of the
1: time. That kind of stuff. It's a really good scene. I think it's good because of how uncomfortable it gets. I think that Jim (laughs) and Rocky have argued many times. They're they're always kind of at odds about things, but it's always been a little ribbing or you know it's never been this intense that I know of Mm -hmm. maybe during Gear Jammers when Jim's trying to get Rocky to realize his life is in danger
0: yeah I think this is a good piece with Gear Jammers yeah you see Rocky and Jim's relationship through the lens of here's this very successful person as we'll kind of get to and then in Gear Jammers it's Rocky needs Jim in a way that he didn't before yeah this conversation kind of fits into a lot of what we talked about their father-son dynamic in that two-parter But uh, we do end it with after Rockford snaps, they kind of snipe at each other and then grumbling, apologize, kind of, but not really in so many words. And then Rocky sighs. and He's like, oh, I love you. (laughs) It's like, oh, fine. I still love my son, but he still wishes that he'd worn a tie. Yeah, yes. We get some good one-liners as they check in at the airport. A little guard stand to go out to meet Aaron's private jet, because that's something you could do at this time.
1: (laughs) Just drive out in a pizza dan Volkswagen Mm -hmm. Beetle.
0: (laughs) And yeah, they they fly out to the private jet and we get the first appearance of Aaron Ironwood and his magnificent (laughs) quaff. And we have what I call in my notes, a full on down home family get together. Everyone seems happy to see each other. Aaron has a twang that I associate with Jim doing in Oklahoma. (laughs) Character. Yeah. They talk about how it's been too long. There's not enough room on the back of a Christmas card to really talk about what's been going on with everyone. And then we kind of have the a, a little beat where he really like takes a step back and looks at Jim and looks at Rocky and just says that he's waited too long to come visiting. Yeah. And then he seems excited to get into the uh pizza <laughs> delivery car. He has his fancy car follow them, and he asks Jimmy, Are you in the pizza business now?
1: <laughs> there's a thing about how he's conducting the conversation because Aaron is in charge of the conversation when 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 he yeah. shows up from that point on Rocky is a little bit in awe and mm-hmm. Jim is <laughs> keeping that sort of analytical distance that Jim will do when he doesn't quite trust what's going on and I don't know if Jim is suspicious of anything in particular at this point but I do find that the way this conversation goes down is really interesting because there's no outward lie happening but you mm-hmm can feel the way that Aaron is controlling the conversation is how people attempt to control a conversation when they don't want it to hit on a topic where they have to outwardly lie. Sure, sure. I think this is done well.
0: It's kept to small talk in a way where I think as a viewer, you're kind of like, all right, let's see why he's really here. Maybe part of Jim's distance in the scene is also like, he's resentful that Rocky is so excited about Aaron's success when he's right there. Yeah. But he's not like unfriendly or standoffish. It's actually
1: quite warm, despite everything I just said. Uh, it's, I, it's well done.
0: They have good chemistry, like these three actors have good chemistry. Yeah. You feel like this is a reunion of some kind. I think some of that distance might be reading back into it because we already know what the story is going
1: to be. That could be true, yes.
0: Yeah, we go to uh, Rockford's trailer. They do the thing where people on TV don't talk when they're in the car. They only talk before (laughs) they get in and then after they get out. Some of the small talk they make getting into the trailer could have been had in the car. Rocky, clearly embarrassed that it's a trailer, says that this is just temporary. We're building a beach house. Construction starts next week, and Rockford very declaratively takes a beat and then says, this is my house, I live here permanently, and I like it just fine. Yeah, <laughs> Rocky, stop doing this. Yeah. Aaron, this is my life, I'm not ashamed of it. Which I like a lot. I like that Jim's like, I don't need to play this game with you.
1: It, it's It's interesting, and maybe this is like a broader thesis, Rockford's approach to lying. Because he's mm-hmm. accomplished at it, and he will do it whenever he needs to. Uh, but then he has this almost haughty dedication to the truth in matters where he doesn't think a lie is necessary. And it's, I think it's really interesting to see that.
0: Yeah, I think he he has, I don't know, the, the pride of his convictions, essentially, yeah, right? Like, yeah. we've talked about this a lot, how, like, he clearly lives a life he wants to live. Yeah. He could have other jobs, but he doesn't want them. He's comfortable in his own skin and his own lifestyle. So when people criticize him for it, he's kind of like, I don't think that's bad. This is what <laughs> I chose. Yeah. And that comes through uh, very clearly here. And Aaron, for his part, is like, I wouldn't expect anything else. But Aaron does know that Rockford's a PI and he thinks that's just fine. Yeah. When Rocky seems surprised, he has this line that starts playing into how we learn what his character actually is. Mhm. It ain't my way stepping on other people's dreams. We cut to seeing Aaron Ironwood, motivational speaker.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: We kind of cut from the trailer to a like a conference room. He's pitching his motivational speaking success course the uh, titular yeah. Aaron Ironwood School of Success. Rocky and Jim are in the back watching him do his thing. He's introduced as an American success story. <laughs> There's a giant sign behind him that says Dare to Win, as that is the title of his program. And then he, you know, he launches into the the cell text, right? Yeah, like the, yeah. the pitch for his pull yourself up by the bootstraps program. We see Rockford looking extremely dubious <laughs> in the back row and rolling his eyes at certain lines. Uh but the kicker is that all you have to do is believe in yourself. The hardest part of getting to the ladder of success is getting through the crowd at the bottom. (laughs) If you dare to try and dare to win, you can make a million dollars in a year, and he'll tell you how. It'll only cost you $5,000.
1: Yes. So now we know precisely the sort of person that Aaron Mm -hmm. Ironwood is. There's no doubt in the audience's mind at this point. So
0: th- this thing, motivational speaker, this program will get you to success. Yeah. Like, I, I know that that's existed for a long time. Yeah. Was this new? Is this something that's always been around?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I'm sure it has a proud tradition that goes all the way back. Jim refers to it as uh, snake oil. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, there's something in that. Um but it is definitely something i associate with my youth in the 80s like mm-hmm. kind of along the same lines as maybe the mega churches and things like that yeah if you just give a little it will will fix everything and uh i think they're craftier these days
0: the modern version of these are these programs where you have some kind of product it doesn't really
1: matter what it is they're like yeah. energy
0: bars or they're like vitamin waters or you know there's some kind of like lifestyle product yeah Theoretically, you're selling those, but what you're really doing is recruiting people you know to become
1: salespeople. Yeah, yeah. the pyramid schemes here.
0: Yeah, but it's the same kind of pitch where it's like right. you're the only one responsible for your success. So if you step up and believe in yourself and, you know, just take this tiny this tiny risk, the payoff is going to be so much and then it doesn't work out for lots of people.
1: I mean, like Trump University. There's like real estate
0: programs that still do this literal thing where it's like, "Come to our seminar. It will cost $10,000 and we promise you that using our techniques you'll You'll yeah. make a million dollars in commissions on your real estate deals, right? Like that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I think that they, they are often now industry specific because, I mean, these are specifically like believe in you, we'll teach you to believe in yourself, to become the better version yeah. of yourself. Uh, they're different in flavor than people saying, we will teach you to be the best real estate seller. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I remember them being sort of epidemic during the, the eighties Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, I don't really see that that often.
0: What I was trying to think of earlier, uh, the term for it now is multi-level marketing.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: it's when you see those like spam comments that are, you know, I made $17,000 in a week using Facebook, like that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, Those are usually for these multi-level marketing things. What they want you to do is spam all your friends so that they sign up for whatever service you provide because no one actually sells the product really yeah you get commission on getting your friends involved and they get commission on getting their friends involved you pay money up front to get products and then you need to recruit other people at this point it's a lot of it's preying on the fact that people are underemployed yeah where it's like here's yeah. something you can do in your spare time to make some money and it's less about this kind of self-improvement because this is kind of like a prosperity gospel kind of feeling right
1: yeah, no, it's it's predatory. It's a nice scam. It's yeah. a good job if you can get it at the very top.
0: But in the context of this episode, I think the nature of his business ties directly into the plot of the episode, right? Which yeah. is a nice thing, as we'll see. At this point in the episode, you know, we're we seeing Rockford, his his bullshit detector is on full auto. Yeah,
1: I mean, the note I put in my book here was just uncomfortable Jim. You could see him, yeah. like, just...
0: Oh, Mm. so we go from that from that scene to Rockford and Aaron arm wrestling in a bar. (laughs) Yes, they're reminiscing. They're spending some time together. Aaron tries to cheat by accident and Rockford stops him and then wins the arm wrestling contest. (laughs) Or I should say he lifts his arm, which you're not supposed to do in arm wrestling. And it is hard to tell whether he's doing it on purpose or not. Right, right. Which doesn't really matter other than that. It's kind of a metaphor for the whole episode. (laughs) and then we kind of get a pretty extended conversation between the two of them. That is part reminiscence and part why he's actually here. And it kind of goes back and forth for a scene of two people talking for a while. (laughs) They have chemistry. There's a sense of humor. It's very watchable. It's a very good piece of of television, but yeah, uh, Aaron is kind of, Going back because uh, he apparently bought the land where they used to live, and he went back there and went back to this little area that they used to build a fort. And what do you know? That our fort was still there. And I just got got lost in memories, and I was rebuilding it. And they started crying because he thinks he thinks that everything that he has, he's not going to have forever. Yeah, it, it has to end sometime. Rockford kind of gives him a little jab about his his uh, American success story. Your your business is doing fine if you're getting people to pay, you know, 5000 a pop for your school. And he says, I like this a lot. He says, I believe everything I told those people. Yeah. The human soul is the greatest resource of this nation. <laughs> but the country's in trouble.
1: Oh, we're talking about this, and we're talking about how he's clearly running a scam. But it's worth pointing out the differences between Aaron and Angel here. Sure. Aaron has a certain type of charisma that can pull this scam off, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can see Angel doing this. And you could see the crowd starting to get upset with him. But when, when Aaron says, I believe every word I say, you want to believe that he believes every word he says.
0: And I think there's a scene at the end of the episode that tells me that he does he does believe in himself. Yeah. He might not believe that what he's selling is actually going to help anyone, but he does believe that he himself, like he has a line kind of about like, I dared to win. And like, once I started believing in myself, that's when things started changing. And I think that's true. Yeah because that's what he, he, what he's done. But he does have some problem. Rockford is the only one that he can trust, and that's really why he's there. <laughs> uh, Rockford says that uh, he doesn't buy his, his whole philosophy. Even as he, as a kid, he was long on bull and short on cash, <laughs> which is equally true. Like He does believe him in, in himself, but Rockford is also correct. Yeah. But Aaron says that really what's happening is that he, he made a mistake. He had a night out with a prostitute while he was on a business trip, and there are pictures, and he feels terrible about it, but now he's being blackmailed. Uh, He doesn't want his wife to see those pictures, and what the blackmailers want are to buy his company for $20 million, which is a tenth of what it's worth. Yeah. At multiple points, someone has mentioned that he is worth $200 million. He wants to give Rockford the company so that he no longer is in control of it, Therefore, the blackmailers won't get anything if they send these pictures and therefore they'll drop
1: it and he can solve his problem that way. And if this is making you feel uncomfortable, (laughs) (laughs) you can be damn sure it's making Jim feel uncomfortable. But he's considering it.
0: Uh, This is a testament to to James Hampton, the, the actor in this scene. It sounds much more reasonable coming from him as he talks to Jim than it did just now when I gave you the bullet points.
1: It's the, uh, well, wait, it's on paper. Of course it doesn't work. <laughs>
0: hmm. There's a big question mark. And Jim does say like, you know, if there, if it was anyone else asking me. Right. You know, I wouldn't even think about it. It is just because they do have this history and some kind of bond that he's even thinking about this weird deal.
1: There's a moment coming up where I want to address this more directly, but, um, they do a great job of uh presenting this guy as a person who we as the audience should be skeptical of. And Jim, who is highly, has a highly tuned detector, is still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And um you can see that bond between them. Like you were saying, the chemistry between the actors is great. They just really do feel like old friends or brothers who haven't mm. seen each other in a while talking about things and one of them bringing up a problem that he needs the other one to help him solve. Right. Like it, it all feels legitimate, but also lets you know, there's no way in hell this is legitimate. <laughs> like this is just, so it, it's really well done.
0: Um Well, Rockford isn't going to just blindly walk into this. Of course yes. he does want to make sure that it's all that the paperwork at least is legit. So Rockford and Aaron are going over the, the contract with Beth in a brief but uh, always appreciated appearance in this episode. She's looking over this contract, which seems relatively simple for Mm -hmm. uh you know taking over a company but i don't know i don't know how (laughs) business works she's looking through this paperwork she says that it's legally fine while she's looking at it rockford's like so why who are these people anyway and aaron says that there were some partners on like an oil deal that went (laughs) south and everyone got stung but since he put the deal together they've been out for revenge yeah you never thought they would go this far but (laughs) here we are rockford takes beth aside to kind of Confirm with her uh, that the contract looks okay. She says that it's okay to sign legally as long as he trusts aaron which right. is again kind of the thesis <laughs> statement uh, for for this episode. This is the second limp yeah. callback, I think. This is where he says that he he fell off a skateboard, mm-hmm. which is clearly the the biggest lie of the excuses that he gets. For all the
1: times we have seen Jim <laughs> on a skateboard, I've never seen him fall off a skateboard.
0: I've never seen Jim Rockford fall off a skateboard. <laughs> just saying. He thanks Beth, uh, and she says that she'll send him a bill. Now that he's worth $20 million, maybe he'll uh, actually pay it before Christmas. Worth
1: $200 Ah,
0: oh, yes. Now that he's worth $200 yeah. million. Sorry. She heads off into, her, into the courtroom. She has, you know, business to do there. Rockford heads back to Aaron. Finally signs these documents, but does make it clear if Aaron has not been straight with him, he's going to sell that company right out from under him.
1: So we get a little story about when they were kids. And Aaron stole Jim's catcher's mitt and sold it and cut him in for half. And at first when they tell this story, I'm like, well, I mean, that's still a dick move, right? I stole something of yours and I sold it and I'm keeping half the money is, I mean, I guess better than I stole something of yours and you're getting nothing for it. But the sort of other end of that is that he did it for the good of their team.
0: We had to get you from behind that plate. You're always better as an outfielder or something like that. Yeah.
1: Jim kind of begrudgingly gives him that. Like, okay.
0: Like, yeah, you're not wrong.
1: (laughs) That was for the betterment of the team.
0: So yeah, that's, it both reinforces kind of their history and also the nature of their relationship. I think it's also a nod to like Aaron every so often got one over on Jim because a lot of the other anecdotes have been about Jim protecting Aaron from people who wanted to beat him up and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, actually, I think that's kind of uh, another thing maybe to just bring up at this point, but We have gotten at this point a few stories about, maybe not explicit stories, but just mentions that Jim has beaten up people that have uh, somehow bullied or dealt poorly with Aaron when they were kids. Uh, I enjoy this vision of Jim as a gorilla when he's a kid.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But... As time goes on, as we hear more stories, how many of those are because Aaron did something? Right, yeah. We'll see how it goes as things (laughs) heat up pretty quick here. Uh, As Rockford and Aaron go to a hotel to meet with these mystery partners who want to buy his company, we get a final mention of his limp as as they head down the hotel corridor. He went out dancing and he dipped.
1: (laughs) And then slipped.
0: They knock on the hotel door, and who opens it? But one of the goons who was originally uh, abducting Rockford from in front of this trailer, <laughs> who I believe...
1: Is this Nino? Yeah. This is Nino, our secret surprise guest star of the episode. <laughs> we just discovered moments before starting this, uh, this our episode of the podcast is played by Jonathan Goldsmith. At the time, he was credited as Jonathan Lip. Jonathan Goldsmith is known to most of our listeners as the world's most interesting man. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it is a interesting dichotomy, yeah,
0: <laughs> between Nino, the gun toting goon, and uh, the world's most interesting man. So there's just a little little fun deep cut for our listeners. So Rockford clearly is already not feeling good about this. Mm-hmm. And then when the actual buyer Vito comes out uh, yes. of another room, they recognize each other. And Vito says that uh last time he saw Jim Rockford, they were both serving twenty to life, yeah, so uh con buddies jail yeah. jailbird buddies from uh from Rockford's jail days things are getting pretty weird, pretty quick. Aaron says that Mr. Rockford here is my silent partner, and then Vito's like, oh, he's the one who won't sell, so <laughs> I remember when I the first time I saw this episode being kind of confused in this scene, right, but what's happening here is that Aaron has a different
1: story for Vito than the story that he told Rockford.
0: And that's not telegraphed super clearly.
1: It's been a while since I've seen it the first time, too. And watching this one, because uh, I had seen it once before. There's a thing that happens with me in Rockford Files episodes. The first time I watch it, or if I haven't seen them in a while or whatever, I get rolled up in just the, the majesty of it. Let's say (laughs) (laughs) just how charming the characters are and the action and all that. And I often let the, not the plot itself, but the plot of the scam. Yeah. Whatever the crime is, I let that slip out of the back of my brain Mm -hmm. and I'm watching it this time. And I definitely understood that there was a different story told to Vito because of the way Mm -hmm. he said it. I was like, well, and Vito seems to have. Like, cause he says right away, if he, if he's on this thing, mm-hmm. uh, for more than a week, I'll eat my shoe or whatever his line was. He was just basically like, he's like, I know you're feeding me a line of, of BS. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. I think the first time I watched it, who all was being lied to about what just passed straight over me.
0: Mm, yeah. It's kind of a tangle that gets untangled later in the episode. Yeah. But yeah. So Aaron says that he presented Rockford with the offer, but he refuses to sell. One of the goons, uh, probably a, the, the mob lawyer, looks at the contract. He says, you know, this is clean. He owns it. And Rockford tried to, to talk to Aaron. It was like, Aaron, we need to talk alone. And Aaron's like, no, no, no. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> so then Rockford's like, okay, Vito, let's talk outside. <laughs> Rockford finally can take a little bit of control back of the situation and, and see what's what. Vito, I think kind of probes about like if you've owned this for longer than a week or whatever, he's like, Well, I own it now. Yeah. So yeah. you're dealing with me. And he says that he'll sell it for twenty two million, not the twenty million.
1: So this is this is a good Rockford swerve where mm-hmm. his whole deal is not to sell it. And he's like, Oh, wait a minute. It's the mob. I'm selling it. <laughs>
0: Right, Aaron told him, I'm giving it to you, don't sell it, and then they'll let this whole thing go. And then yeah. as soon as he walks in, sees Vito, knows that they're mob, he <laughs> immediately goes to, how can I sell this? How can I yeah. get out of this situation with the mob? Vito holds at, at $20 million, that's the offer, and Jim says, and a good price it is. <laughs> and so he agrees to sell Aaron's company for $20 million to, uh, to Vito. He signs the stock transfer thing over he gets mm-hmm. a 20 million dollar cashier's check yep like you do like you do and uh the company sold we cut to the elevator and aaron seems very mad <laughs> and he's like you weren't supposed to sell it and rockford equally mad because he knows that he's been lied to he knows that something right. is up right yeah he's like you don't say no to these guys they'll kill you as they go out into the lobby Aaron wants his check and Rockford's like, this doesn't add up. I want you to tell me what's going on before I give you this check. Mm-hmm. Aaron gets more and more angry about it, threatens to take it away from him by by force, takes a swing at him in the middle of the lobby, but Rockford sucker punches him in the stomach <laughs> and uh, gets out of there without having to turn over this $20 million check.
1: I love when Aaron goes down and the random white loafers <laughs> <laughs> in the, the lobby come to help him out. And he's like, get away yeah. from me. There's something about that that is speaks so true to me. I've I've been thinking about this lately. Like there, there's this moment in, in when you when you've hurt yourself, where anybody asking you a question feels like an assault and an interrogation. Even if that question is, "Are you all right?" Right? Like if you hit your head, you're like, "Are you all right?" It's like, "Hit my head?" No, I'm not all right. Why would you ask me that silly question?
0: So, yeah, some, something has happened. We're still not quite sure what the story is. We have a quick shot of Rockford uh, heading back to his car, and he's being watched by a new person, a new goon-looking guy in yeah. the car. And then we cut to Rockford and Rocky hanging out on the pier mm-hmm. later that night,
1: yeah. just chatting. But well, this is where they go over, like... You know, don't worry about it. I, we both have fallen for things that, that Aaron has blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah. So, so Rockford called Aaron's wife. Turns out that they've been divorced for two years. (laughs) So that whole story about the pictures was clearly baloney. He has the line about, he wouldn't have done this for anyone else. Yeah. He makes the point that the mob clearly Aaron had this whole thing planned because the mob knew that he was the silent partner. Mm -hmm. Because they picked him up before Aaron ever arrived. Yes. Or they tried to pick him up. So if they knew that he was involved, then the only thing that makes sense to Rockford is that Aaron wanted him to sell the company.
1: Yeah. So this is the interesting bit about the exchange in the elevator and the lobby. Mm -hmm. Aaron is hurt that he sold the company, but that is not at all. Like Aaron was expecting it. So he's hurt as a performance to try and get the money out of Jim. Right. That's interesting. I like that.
0: And yeah, what he actually wants is his check. But there's an interesting thing here where just kind of in passing, Rocky's like, well, you can't keep that money. And Rockford's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, why not? <laughs> I mean, it's just his sense of honor. Right, right, yeah. I don't think there's any narrative or like plot or legal reason why he can't keep that money. Right, right. As established, he was the legal o- owner of the company and he sold it. Mm-hmm. And now he has a check. He could just keep it. But Jim Rockford's, I guess, sense of propriety is such that he's like, yeah, I know.
1: It's his sense of propriety, which clearly comes from Rocky, right? Yeah. It's very clear to Rocky. This isn't money that you're allowed to have. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm I'm with you. I'm like, "Uh, are you sure? I think you might (laughs) be able to.
0: The next couple seasons might have been real different if he just
1: kept that check.
0: (laughs) Well, Rockford calls uh, Aaron. He wants to talk to him about this whole thing. He'll wait for him in the alley behind the hotel, and he'll have the check. So Aaron goes down to meet him. Oh. Rockford just wants to know the truth. He'll give him the check if Aaron just tells him what's going on. Aaron doesn't want to tell him what's going on. He'll fight him for that check.
1: And Aaron goads Rockford into a fistfight. He, he takes his watch off. He takes his ring off. He sets both of them on the, it. Like you, you always used to be able to lick me, but not anymore. You know, that <laughs> kind of stuff. This fight, this presages they live. 13 years later right like this is the rowdy rowdy piper and keith david are in a (laughs) alleyway uh with some dumpsters the piper whose character's name i don't remember (laughs) has a pair of sunglasses that allow him to see the aliens that are taking over our (laughs) society he wants keith david to wear these sunglasses And Keith David said no. This is a historic fight. It's a big, long, like, six-minute fight sequence. This one, in the same vein as that fight, this is a wonderful brawl. There's nothing polished about this.
0: Right, yeah. There's a real sense of reality to this. Yeah. I think there's a subtlety to it that's really well done. Rockford doesn't want to fight, but he's clearly a better fighter. Yeah. Aaron angers him enough to where he's finally like, okay, we'll fight, but that gives Aaron a couple, like, hits in early. Yeah,
1: to the face even. That
0: actually brings them closer to each other's level, and then they immediately tumble into a pile of conveniently placed uh, cardboard boxes. (laughs) So they're actual kind of rolling around, brawling stuff, equal them. yeah and then the end of the fight comes when Aaron gets a trash can lid. Rockford fakes him out and then punches him in the stomach, but then gets hit in the head with the trash can lid. Both of them are too beat up to really continue. So it kind of ends in a draw.
1: It's such a good draw, too, because it's not it's not just both of them bleeding and breathing heavily. Rockford is leaning over a railing with the splitting headache you would get if somebody hit you over the head. Like, it's yeah. it's very real feeling, I think, that like mm-hmm. everything about this fight looks like, an actual fight between brothers. Yeah. Like, they're reliving a fight that they had done when they were kids, except now they're (laughs) They're, adults.
0: They're angry enough to fight. Right. But the goal is not to, like, kill each other. Exactly, yeah. It's to make a point. They're both trying to make a point. Yeah. At the end of the day, Rockford is just, I think he's so fed up with just dealing with Aaron. Yeah. That he's kind of, like, fine. And he pulls the check out and he shoves it into Aaron's pocket with an attitude very much of, we're done. Yeah. This is the last interaction we're going to have. And he leaves. And then we see Aaron really like give in to the pain of being beat up so bad by Rockford. (laughs) Uh,
1: Good. Good stuff.
0: So even though Aaron is clearly not physically more capable than Jim, even though he kind of quote unquote wins, like he gets what he wanted. Mm -hmm. But Jim doesn't look any less tough. Right. Right. Yeah. From there, we go to Rockford in his car.
1: This is clearly the end of it for Rockford. He's he's. Frame yeah, clear. clear. He's done.
0: <laughs> so he's in his car somewhere else. It's not really clear. It doesn't really matter. And uh, we had the, the, the quick shot of this guy in a car following him earlier. That guy rolls up to his window. <laughs> and a classic. Someone following Rockford just pops in while he's not paying attention. Oh, it's
1: when he's, he's looking through binoculars at the other people that are following him.
0: Yeah. So he pops into this window and then he shows that he has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming with me. Rockford gives him some pithy line. He says, "We're used to dealing with barf bags like you," and that's when Rockford knows
1: that he's a cop. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> There's a moment where he's like, "Oh, okay, you're a cop."
0: So yeah, this guy he's he's federal. Mm-hmm. He's a federal cop of some of some kind. Uh, it's never specified, but FBI.
1: Yeah, Rockford asks to see his tin, and he's like, "I'm not in the mood." <laughs>
0: So they take him to the federal building downtown, and Rockford is being interrogated by this guy who we learn is a uh, Pat, no, no, Agent Patrick. <laughs> yeah. <to you. laughs> so the feds have been on Aaron uh, because his company. Is basically a pyramid scheme, which means fraud. Yeah. Uh so they have charges of fraud, embezzlement, and illegal trading of securities. All these franchises that Aaron's been selling are fraudulent. And they've they've been building the case against him. So the pieces start to fall into place for Rockford, (laughs) and he asks, like, Do you think he knows that you were about to get him? He could have. It's possible. It's like, okay, now it's all starting to make sense. Um, Aaron knew he was going to get nailed. And so his desperation to get this $20 million check, that's his, his cash out. Mm-hmm. Agent Patrick makes the point that uh, uh, Vito and the mob are not going to be very happy about what they just bought from Rockford, sold him a bag of sand. So he should cooperate, I guess. This is they don't really have anything they need from Rockford.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: This is kind of finding out whether he's a patsy or not in the pyramid scheme, yeah. I guess. And and they also want to find Aaron. They're like, Where's Aaron? He's like, Well, he's at the hotel. They say that he's not there and you know, he has some good lines about you know it's not his fault if their stakeout guy was spending all his time in the gift shop. <laughs> I like how he addresses the glass, like he addresses the right. one-way mirror directly. So can I go yet? Uh you guys don't have anything on me and the guy behind the glass is like yeah all right you're free to go oh
1: so good he
0: leaves the federal building gets in this cab with a, a great um side character who clearly has an entire life that's just briefly intersecting with rockford's here
1: i just love this character again like you said this is a character clearly with an entire real life uh she's off having her own adventure that rockford just intersected with briefly
0: she, so she's driving this cab. She has this great hat.
1: <laughs> like, if it was New York, right? Like it would just be this stereotypical New York taxi with the cab and the hat and everything.
0: Uh, so she notices that they're being tailed and she asks Rockford, I can lose them for you for 10 bucks. You know, so they have banter about movie and TV <laughs> cab things. And he ends up with like, nah, I like having them back there. She's like, all right, suit yourself. And yeah. She takes him back to his place. Uh, the fair is
1: And he gives her a tip. We're not sure how much, but it's apparently a tip that she appreciates. The thing I love about this cabbie is just how quick she was to recognize they have a tail. Because, I mean, Rockford's beat up right now, right? He's made some comments about it. He looks Mm -hmm. like he's been worked over.
0: Yeah, he has bruises on his face from the fight with Aaron. So
1: she's probably, from the get-go, suspicious recognizes they have a tail and then is so willing to just <laughs> like hey for 10 bucks i'll lose it like it's you, you you want this problem to go away this, this is one of the services we offer
0: Rockford is happy to be, be tailed. And I think like the audience has not really shown who is tailing them. No. Like we just see a car, but we don't really see who's in it. So it's either the mob or the cops. We're far enough through the episode that there's probably not going to be a third party involved. <laughs> Rockford goes to bed. <laughs> so his tail is
1: outside. He makes sure, sure that they're out there and says something like have a good night or something. and just goes to bed.
0: He goes to bed, but unfortunately he is woken the next morning, still in the same clothes, by Nino nudging him with a gun. (laughs) Rockford asks if if, uh, he'd be up for a little light breakfast, maybe something with some eggs. But uh, Argoon is taking no nonsense puts Rockford into the car with Aaron already in there. So the mob managed to snag Aaron before the feds could get to him. Vito is in the front of the car and he is not happy. Uh, he said that everything's frozen. Uh, all the assets of the company are are locked down. What are they going to do to make this right? Rockford has a, a line here about like, you know, we tried to get you not to buy and Vito's like, you should have <laughs> tried harder. And that echoed to me what happens in the next episode of yes. the season, the Farnsworth stratagem, where Rockford desperately, Wants to get the mob not to buy something, and he's truthful with them about (laughs) it, and they buy it anyway.
1: He's like, I just want to go on record. I was against this.
0: Aaron's like, "Uh, we can just return your money. And Vito says, you know, I told you everything's frozen. Like, your bank account is frozen. You can't give me your money. Which I like that little kind of nod to... Some logic about why that's not going to be satisfactory. (laughs) Before they can get rolling, the car floods again. But it becomes clear once uh, neither Rockford nor Aaron can give a substantive response to uh, what are we going to do to fix this, that they're going to be taken out into the countryside They go for the ride. We stay with them in the car as they make it explicit that they're going to be killed. Rockford and Aaron start swapping childhood reminiscences in a way that is both calculated Mm -hmm. to annoy their captors and also kind of send some coded messages, I think. They're like referring to things that happened with the clear intention of that's something we should do to get out of this situation. Uh, This annoys Vito. He tells him to shut up and Rockford gets his line from the preview montage where he says that you can only kill me once. I don't think you want to do it here, which is totally fair.
1: It's great. This is this again, the chemistry between Rockford and Aaron is great. They're both calm in the face. You know, I keep comparing Aaron to Angel, uh, but they're both old friends of Rockford.
0: Yeah. Angel will be freaking out. Right. Yeah, and like trying to cut deals and
1: making excuses. Throwing Rockford under the bus. Instead, Aaron's working with Rockford. So this is not necessarily redemptive of Aaron, but this shows us that there's a true, legitimate relationship between these two. That they they have history. Mm -hmm. Aaron probably didn't want to get rockford killed for what happened right he thought rockford would be able to muddy the waters enough for him to make his his escape and and be done with it mm-hmm. and then just how both of them are so cavalier in the face of death like i love it like he's rockford's like what are you gonna kill me twice you can't tell me to shut up anymore why you've already <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you don't have any more leverage over me yeah.
0: i know that you're going to kill me
1: so we're just gonna talk uh and it's great
0: yeah they they talk about how the these goons don't have a sense of Humor. (laughs) Rockford calls them a set of third grade dropouts, and then (laughs) Nino like reaches out and slaps him, and then he just slaps him back. Yes, you should ask your boss before you go shooting people in his brand new car. I'm sure he wouldn't (laughs) like that. We see the the charm and the sense of humor, yeah, uh, in that, and also Rockford's unwillingness to give give an inch if he doesn't have to. But they do drive them out on the highway out to a deserted area. They walk them far away from the car. The staging of this whole sequence is a little weird.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like... Slightly convenient.
0: Yeah. It's very convenient for, for how it all plays out, which is that the guys in front kind of go around a little bend of this high brush area, so they're out of sight. Rockford and Aaron have both loosened their belts... <laughs> unobtrusively
1: that moment is filled with such menace uh Mm -hmm. i I just there's something about it like i would not have picked watching two guys simultaneously and stealthily undo their belt buckles and walk around with these undone belt (laughs) buckles i was like when they did it i thought okay they're gonna use those as weapons like that's a thing
0: that must be from like their little coded remember when conversation
1: but it's such a weird thing That had such menace because it was so weird. You had to think through, how are they going to, like, are they going to whip these guys with them? What is this for? What what horrible thing do they have planned? Well, turns out it's not super
0: horrible. No, it isn't. (laughs) So Aaron fakes a seizure. Yeah. Which is... Strange, (laughs) but okay. Nino goes over. I'm just going to do him right here, but he gets close enough that Aaron can kind of sucker. He kicks him. Mm -hmm. uh, Rockford takes advantage of the confusion to uh, get a couple swings in and the gun that Nino was holding goes off into the bushes. Mm -hmm. Then everyone's looking around for the gun. Vito finds the gun, Rockford and Aaron, who have wrapped their belts around their fists, so they're basically just better at punching, (laughs) run off into the brush, and we get a little chase through the high grasses. Vito is no fool and sends uh, one of the goons back to the car. Uh, This guy, he's the driver, but as we get a a nice little shot of him just sitting on the car, looking around, waiting for something to happen, we see that it is, in fact... Louis Delgado who plays Sergeant Billings uh, in many other episodes of the Rockford Files so we see a villainous turn from him as he's waiting at the car for something to happen Um, Rockford sneaks up on him from behind gives him a good shot in the mouth laying him out and then Rockford and Aaron jump into the car but wait it's flooded (laughs) They can't get it to start. The mob guys come out of the bush with the guns. They start shooting. But then finally, the cop cars arrive as they were being tailed by the feds the whole time for just such an eventuality. And they are saved before anyone gets shot. Criminals are brought to justice. But also (laughs) Aaron himself is arrested with glee by (laughs)
1: our FBI agent. Pat, no, Agent Patrick.
0: So our last scene here is Rockford and Aaron in a cell. Rockford is giving some hard-earned advice. Ask for C block. It's the best one. <laughs> Most of the fish, or greenies, as they're also called, <laughs> usually go to D block, but C block has better facilities.
1: So this little bit of lingo uh, adds a little to our knowledge of um, Gandhi and Rockford. Because he mm-hmm. refers to him as mm-hmm. rockfish. I mean, a rockfish is a fish. Yeah, but like it's not like it's not a particularly demeaning yeah, it's just like taking somebody's name and saying it's very schoolyard. If it's just taking someone's name and saying something else that sounds like it,
0: like if I just called you Epiduty,
1: right? Exactly. <laughs> Except there, that's an even better insult because it's <laughs> there's duty in it. But if it's if it's a reference to when Rockford first comes in, like when he's a newbie in the prison, if he's a fish, he's a rockfish. I think that th- there might be something there.
0: Maybe Aaron is making the best of his situation. Mm -hmm. So this is getting back to how I said, I think he, he does have some measure of believing in his own pablum. Yeah. He's saying that from Rockford's description, the prison system isn't really all that great. (laughs) It could really, it could probably stand some reform and we're better to reform than from the inside. (laughs) Before we get too deep into it, Rocky appears as he is probably paid jim's bail or whatever mm-hmm. done done whatever needed to do to get jim out of there because he's not actually being held for anything his body language is very uncomplimentary to Aaron, and but Aaron apologizes i know you must be disappointed in me and i'm sorry yeah I forget what Rocky says. He doesn't exactly say this, but it's implied that Rocky is disappointed in him because he lied to Rocky and Jim, not because he's in jail.
1: Right. Yeah. Because he he says something like, it's disappointing to see me in in this state or something like that. And Rocky says, that ain't why I'm disappointed in you. And you know it. It's... A very uh, touching moment, I feel like, given all that that's Mm -hmm. happened. He says it, but then Rocky is Rocky.
0: And forgives him immediately (laughs) at the first sign of contrition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rocky really does consider him to be family. Yeah. So when we see that in that couple sentences. Aaron says that it's it's just so hard for him to admit that he's not perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's his character flaw, that he's just not perfect enough. But he's going to be. He just has to keep working at it. <laughs> Rockford's final advice is to keep his nose clean, don't talk to people, just keep your head down and you'll get through it okay. But Aaron sees a new career in it almost. He thinks he can really make some positive changes, get the get the old philosophy going, and what he's going to call it is dare to be free. <laughs> End of episode.
1: <laughs> On brand. So that was that was a fun episode. There's one bit about it that I have, I have a couple questions. Some for the audience and you and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one in particular is the only bit that I didn't see as particularly tight was I loved the whole phone conversation with Dennis. But nothing came from that.
0: Yeah. I remember thinking partway through the episode, oh, that must come back in the save. Right. Yeah, or something. But then it doesn't because it's the feds yeah. who, who make that save. It's good because it makes that whole first sequence not just Jim and Rocky, mm-hmm. right? And it gives another vector like we talked about to get more information about Aaron and why Rocky cares so much and blah blah blah. But that would actually make more sense if Dennis had said, "Since I just took my exam, I don't want to. I, I need to keep my nose clean around here. I can't run that for you, Jim." And then yeah, up.
1: exactly. Or if it somehow came out that it went, he did it, and that information went to the FBI instead of to Jim or you know whatever. But
0: right, or even if he was just there at the end with the FBI,
1: yeah. But
0: yeah, you're right. That never comes back, and that's a little
1: seems like a missed opportunity. And it's, you know, uh, it's Rockford Files, so it stands out that it doesn't rather than it's just yeah. like, oh, OK, that happens. The
0: other thing that kind of stood out to me in that way was other than muddying the waters, kind of, as you say, mm-hmm. why did Aaron need Jim to sell the company?
1: What is Aaron's plot? What, what, what was his plan? How, how did he envision it going down well?
0: Right. Well, that's the thing, right? If if Jim had given him the check immediately, he could have just gone and mm-hmm. cashed it, I guess. But they froze all of his assets.
1: It could be that he intended Jim to not sell right away, and then he would leave town and leave
0: Jim with the he wouldn't make it with the bag because he wouldn't get any money. Wouldn't out get any it. money out of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, aside from muddying the waters.
0: I mean, I guess pointing the mob at Jim instead of himself kind of makes sense.
1: Or it could, it could be that he had invented this silent partner and then needed a silent partner to fit that invention, right? Like, Mm. so it could be that Jim is there to make true a lie
0: that he has a silent partner.
1: Uh, in that case, then he would be not trying to. So yeah. There's some, I don't want to say convoluted because it's not necessarily convoluted, but there's
0: the end game of Aaron's plan is never stated. So it's a little hard to see what what the goal of the mechanism of getting Jim to own the company and then sell it was. I like it because thematically it works with the overall idea of, like, there's one person that Jim would trust in this way who abuses that trust. Yeah. That's the story of the episode. If it was anyone else, Jim wouldn't even get involved because it's this one person right. who does. yeah. And that's fun to watch. The The emotional story of this episode is yeah. great. The The
1: mechanism
0: of, like, why this has to happen is less clear than in some other episodes, to me at least.
1: To focus on that emotional arc, then, let me... Offer up this question for you and you, the listener at home or in your car or wherever you happen to be. Uh, washing dishes while listening to a podcast. That's something that I normally do. Is Aaron Jim's origin story? This is the thing I've been thinking about. There is a possible story here where Jim grows up to be a trucker. Because he, he, mm-hmm. he's a big kid. Uh, because he he defends Aaron. He plays something like the, the role of the goon or the gorilla uh, in Aaron's life. But Aaron is introduced and Aaron gets into all these scams. Mm. Does this hone Jim's understanding of how scams work mm-hmm. so that he learns how to do them and how to spot them, how mm. to be suspicious of them? And that does that lead him down this path of ne'er-do-wellism, if you will, uh, that leads to... Jim Rockford, private investigator, rather than Jim and Rocky's trucking show?
0: That is a good question. I mean, this is the farthest back in Jim's life that we hear about, um, I think, throughout the series. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's an open question. If anyone has any thoughts about that, feel free to let us know. You can find us at all all of the places that will be uh, listed in, in our intermission, as well as wherever you have procured this podcast. Speaking of intermission, I think maybe we should go ahead and take our break and then we'll come back with a a couple more thoughts on lessons and tools and tips and tricks that we found particularly interesting to, to steal for ourselves from this episode. See you then. While we have you here, there's three ways you can support us. First, rate and review on iTunes or whatever service you use for podcasts. Second, you can support us directly for as little as $1 an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. If you want to help us shape the direction of 200 a day, the Patreon is the best place to go. And finally, both of us have other projects going on pretty much all the time. Epi, what are you excited about right now?
1: I'm excited about swords and sorcery. The type of swords and sorcery you find at worldswithoutmaster.com. And my new project... Code name Lincoln Green, Robin Hood role playing game. You can find all you need to know about that at digathousandholes.com. I'm excited about your stuff as well.
0: Oh, that's so nice. As always, you can check out my catalog of fiction and role playing games at ndpdesign.com, including the Worldwide Wrestling role playing game. If you want to see my newest stuff, check out the playtest page. That's where I have free downloads of all my fun new projects. Thanks yet again for listening. As always, we deeply appreciate your support. And with that, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to 200 A Day, the podcast where we talk about the rock for five. If you've made it this far in the podcast and you don't know what we're doing. You know what we're doing. But in the second half, what we're going to do specifically is we're going to take some uh, lessons, tips and tricks and whatnot from the episode we just talked about and see how we can apply it to our own fiction, whether that is Stuff that we're writing, stuff that we're producing or directing. I haven't, I've never directed anything, but, uh, or that we're bringing to the table as we play role playing games.
0: In the first half, we talked a lot about the specific ways in which this episode does a lot of the things that we generally always like about the show, right? Like Mm -hmm. using the exposition to do multiple things where, you know, conversations are both exposition and explaining a character relationship, the ways that it used backstory implication to build the relationship between Mm -hmm. um, Aaron and Jim um, and
1: Rocky. The characters that have full lives outside of the episode. and
0: We, we have covered those things in more detail in other episodes, um, so I don't know. There's a whole lot more ground to cover here on those elements. But you mentioned, and I think you're right, that the fight, the, the fist fight, is actually a pretty interesting set of 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 stuff to talk about and i was like oh i didn't really think about that because the episode as a whole is not very actiony like i don't think of it as a action-packed episode it's more about this con game that aaron's running and then rockford's relationship to it but there are two good action sequences in it that are done in a way that are are interesting and worth going into in more detail
1: and uh all 'all (laughs) y'all are in for a treat here because Nathan literally wrote the book uh we're gonna we're gonna get a little into pro wrestling here, which is a category that Nathan knows enough about to have written a role-playing game based on it. so
0: with help from my friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was uh, so I said two because I think we maybe can jump back and forth, but we can compare and contrast the handling of of Aaron and Jim's fist fight and then Aaron and Jim fleeing from the mob at yeah. the uh, in the final sequence. What about this jumped out to you as specifically wrestling relevant?
1: Uh, What's happening here is, in particular, the fist fight. here. So they're in this alley and uh, they go to tussle. And everything in that scene that leads up to it and how it plays out and how it ends is about their relationship, right? Uh It's not about the stunts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about... They They do, you know, like you said, they fall into this stack of boxes that are going to be there because you're in a warehouse and you need some place to fall. It starts off by being very open about the, the situation here. Aaron says, you know, you used to be able to whoop me when I was a kid, but that might not be the case anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's restating their relationship. We were friends, as good as brothers when they were kids. And they would have gotten into fights as kids and obviously jim is going to win these fights because he's bigger than aaron Mm -hmm. so aaron takes his ring off he's got this honking like rich man's ring that he takes off and he takes off his watch and this is so that they can fight without really hurting each other
0: there's a sense of fair play right where it's like yeah he's taking this off stuff off because that's a that's a symbol of let's do this but i don't want to well, I mean, first of all, you can really mess up your own hand if you're wearing jewelry and you punch someone. Right. But I, I, there's kind of a schoolyard element where I'm ready. Here's the symbol of me being ready to fight you. But again, it's not a duel to the death.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to take your eye out. And like you said, the starts off, Jim is trying to talk sense into him as Aaron gets into like a boxing stance and takes two jabs at Jim's face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and it takes that to get Jim to be like, all right, I'm going to whoop here. Thinking about this in, in wrestling terms, right? There's this sort of setup where they state what's at stake here. This is not, this is not about whether or not Aaron's going to get the money. Aaron's going to get the money. Mm-hmm. And it's not whether or not Aaron's going to tell the truth because he's not going to tell the truth. This is just them working out this sort of situation they had as, as kids where. Yeah.
0: So those are the stated goals, right? Yeah whoever wins this is going to get the championship, right? Where it's like, that is an external frame. Rockford wants to find out the truth before giving him the money. And if he doesn't find out the truth, I'm not going to give you the money. That's the reason they're there. But what the fight's actually about is this dynamic where Aaron wants to prove to Jim that he has grown up in certain ways that he doesn't need the kind of protection that Jim used to give him. Jim wants Aaron to back down, right? Like Jim, Mm -hmm. Jim wants Aaron to acknowledge that Aaron has done something wrong. Yeah. And the way they're going to settle this is through is through fisticuffs.
1: <laughs> yes, and then the fight itself is not like it takes to the end for any one of them to pick up a weapon, even though they're in a place that is probably festooned with weapons. Like there's
0: there and yeah, there's like piles of boxes and everything. So. What I like about it structurally is, and I talked about this a little bit in the first part, where just looking at them, you know, the tail of the tape on them, uh, essentially, is that Rockford should win this fight. He's bigger, he's stronger, yeah. he's more experienced. But because he doesn't want to fight, Aaron is yeah. able to equalize the playing field by getting a couple shots in first and just angering Jim to where it turns mm-hmm. into a brawl. Jim already got him once, right? He sucker punched him in the in the stomach. and you know, Yeah. By Aaron putting it on a we are going to fight now kind of formality level, that takes away Jim's advantage of being able to, like, sucker punch people and, and get right. those, <laughs> those shots in. But then at the end of the fight, Jim manages to get his best shot in when he fakes Aaron out. Aaron raises the lid to, like, block, and then yeah. Jim gets him in the stomach instead, echoing that sucker punch from, from earlier. But that leaves Jim open to getting wanged in the head with the trash can lid, and then they're both at parody again, where they're both injured. Right. Yeah. Neither of them wishes to continue.
1: Yeah. There's that moment where Jim, I don't remember what Jim says, but it's like, do you want me to teach you more of a lesson <laughs> or something like that? And he's like, look at you. Yeah. You can't do that anymore than I can. Um, and that's great. And I love that. Like, Between those two spots, where he's taking jabs at Jim's face, and then when the trash can comes down on Jim's head, poor Jim's head, it's mainly grappling, right? It's mainly trying to control the other. Yeah. Uh, It's not about striking and hurting.
0: Mm -hmm. And that, again, has that kind of schoolyard feel to
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really well done. I think that, like, I would be surprised if they didn't think that out.
0: I mean, and it looks pretty practical. Like, it looks like the two of them were rolling around.
1: Yeah, yeah. It
0: doesn't really seem very stunt doubly or anything like that. At the end of the fight, you know, Jim basically gives up the, the check. Mm-hmm. Which implies to me that even though they, you know, the fight's a draw, essentially. But Aaron kind of wins, right? Yeah. I think Aaron wins the respect. Maybe not the respect, actually, but Aaron makes the point that he was trying to make, which was, I can take care of myself.
1: Right. Yes, exactly. He's, he put Jim in a spot where Jim is probably can more easily be convinced of that because he's also less likely to put up a fight anymore. His head is ringing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. I think that it... It's easy while watching a Rockford Files episode to start assuming that everyone who isn't Jim is in the wrong yeah. and is incapable of handling themselves. Uh, and this is, I mean, he is in the wrong, but he stands up to Jim and uh, they gain equal footing, which is mm-hmm. necessary for how the last part of this whole thing plays out, right?
0: Yeah. So before we get to that, I think I also want to highlight there's a there's a bit of subtlety or, or appropriateness to Jim going ahead and, and giving him the check then also, which is that why did he not just give him the check in the first place? Because he wanted to find out what was really going on. Why did he want to right. find out what was really going on? Because... I mean, he just has his own inborn stubbornness, but also I think one read of that is that he still feels like he has to take care of Aaron and he can't take care of Mm -hmm. Aaron if he doesn't know the situation. So with that fight coming out to Aaron proving the point of like, I can hang with you, I don't need you to protect me, then Jim kind of gives up this idea of I need to know what's happening because he's saying... I don't need to hang out. Like, I don't need to protect you if this is how you're going to be. Here's the check. I don't care anymore.
1: I think that that's actually like a really good point. And it reminds me of an interesting wrestling matches that I've seen where, so you have the stakes set at the beginning and they're pretty explicit. And like you said, here's the belt that we're fighting for. It's whether or not the check is going to go with with the truth or not. <laughs> right. But then there's this underlying thing That's part of the backstory that we've gotten before this match has happened that kind of fuels why that's important to begin with. And then we have the match. And instead of the match just resolving what has been set up, instead, I'm referring to it as a match, but, you know, instead of the fight just resolving what has been set up, it changes the dynamic so that something new is there, right? Yeah. What's really interesting about how it ends is not... The question of whether or not he's going to get the check or Jim's going to get the truth, it's that what you just said, that we've... Jim, now his relationship to Aaron has changed over the course of this fistfight.
0: This fight has catalyzed the change in their relationship.
1: Yeah. There's all sorts of things. If you're going to put violence of this sort in your fiction, you can always make a fight have higher stakes. That's super easy to do. It's not particularly interesting. You can just say, okay, now instead of fighting uh, for this, they're fighting for a warhead that's going to blow up downtown L.A., you know? Can I give Uh, an
0: example of that from some of my recent media viewing? So uh, I happen to have, over the last couple days, rewatched both uh, The Matrix and Matrix Reloaded. You may or may not uh, be familiar with these texts, uh, but... (laughs) something that that really stood out to me watching them. I didn't watch them back to back I watched them with over the uh, span of a couple of days and in the first matrix movie, each of the fights has its own little internal narrative in addition to whatever role it plays in the story. And that's really well done. I think it's handled really well generally in that movie. And then in the second movie, I find that most of the fights are the fight from the first movie, but with more people in them. (laughs) Like they don't have their own reason to exist. They're more like just turning up the volume on the thing that we already know happens in this world. So the difference between Neo fighting agent Smith in the first movie and awakened Neo fighting the army of Agent Smiths in the second movie is just saying, here's this but more. Right. But the reason that that fight is happening is so much less interesting in the second movie than in the first movie, even though the stakes of how many people are involved and how much of the fabric of the city is going to be impacted and that kind of stuff is turned up. Yeah. That just struck me as a, as an example of what you're talking about where it's like, you can just add more stuff, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a more interesting fight.
1: Exactly. You can either, yeah, you can ratchet up the stakes or you can in again, referencing uh, the matrix here, you can add Kung Fu, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could, you could make the fighters better fighter. You can make them like, more visually dynamic to watch, um, than this, these two, uh, pudges that are wrestling around. Um, but really what's happening here, what's making this scene work is not these individual moves, but the fact that they work in concert with a change in story.
0: Right. This fight is not very interesting out of context. Yeah. Like, if you just watched uh, Jim and Aaron rolling around in boxes in on YouTube, it yeah. is meaningless. But in the context of the story, it's it's a big transition.
1: And so I think that this is kind of the core of what, what we want to get across is don't just use the fight as, like, here's where we have the fighting beat. Mm-hmm. This is the moment where this happens. Yeah. It's
0: like, what is the transition that this fight is encapsulating, yeah, and it could be a a plot transition, right, like if you need to get across the bridge and fight the ogre or whatever, right, like right, right, but at least there's still a transition that mm-hmm. at the end of the fight, there is a new place that you're gonna be that through the through the fight you get there, um and then in this case, it's more of an uh, a character relationship transition.
1: This is probably a worn-out trope, but I never tire of it. And that's the the fight that ends up with the two primary fighters earning each other's respect. Yeah. (laughs) Whenever a wrestling match ends in a handshake, Mm -hmm. if they get up and shake each other's hands, I'm like, yeah, they're friends. Mm -hmm. The point is... Is that, uh, that shift in dynamic, I think is really where, Mm -hmm. yeah, what puts that out. And you can deliberately do that. You can Mm -hmm. take a look at your, your fights. And if you're going to have a fight and go, do we want this relationship to change because of this? Or do we want to specifically show that the relationship won't change? These two (laughs) will continue to fight each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. And one thing that we can look at is also how does this connect to that second? Action sequence, which is not a fist fight, but it's still a a, a fight, a chase and fight uh, where we go from Jim and Aaron fighting each other to Jim and Aaron need to fight together. Yeah. And would that second one really be possible without this one? In that second one, they are able to transmit some coded messages to each other through their shared past. Yeah. But then they both need to trust each other to do the thing that they think the other one is going to do. And they do. And yeah. That's the the key to them getting away from from the mob and evading the being shot and all that stuff.
1: There's an interesting bit of that trust, which I, I really like in the very beginning. So they, they've undone their belts. <laughs> right. Which is going to be code phrasing for me from here on out to I'm ready for a fight. They've undone their belts and Aaron fakes his seizure. During that, Aaron can't see what's going on. He can't know what's going on. Rockford does the whole schoolyard, gets on his hands and knees behind, uh I think it's Nino. Mm-hmm. And then shouts out, like, Aaron now or something like that. He just shouts his name. He just goes,
0: Aaron. And yeah, Aaron
1: kicks. Kicks right up. There's something just kind of beautiful about that. Because that can't happen spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Like, that has to have come out of their story. And they do. They do say a little bit like, they would have t- taken us apart at the knees. And yeah. that, there was like an emphasis on the knees, which I assume meant that, uh, James Gardner was going to hurt his knees. <laughs> There is a moment
0: in that sequence where they're running, they, they run oh, through yeah. the stream, which first of all, like, looks like it probably is not very fun, but then they crest a hill and James Garner slides on the way down, yeah. and I'm like, oh my god, that poor guy. And they've been calling out how he's been limping the whole episode, and then in that sequence, you see him just tear his knee up
1: more. It's hard to watch if you if you think that this is a real-life human being doing these things under this kind of pain. Yeah, But- there is, like, this level of trust, like, Again, let's swap Aaron out for Angel. Angel fakes a seizure. Jim gets down on his hands and knees. He says, Angel now. And Angel runs off into the grass, right? Like, that is right.
0: <laughs> that is what happens there. We've seen there. in other episodes how Angel acts in these things. And what happens is he'll try to get away and he'll bump into someone. And that's what will cause the disruption that Jim can capitalize on. Yes. Or he'll try to run away and open a door and hit someone with the door who he didn't know was there. He's never portrayed as being in on a plan. Yeah. So this this sequence has many more beats to it, right, than the first one. So we have the the lead up where they're slowly being, you know, led off into the wilderness to be be executed. We see them do their belt thing. So we're like, okay, something's (laughs) going to happen. And then there's a long moment while we see them wait until the opportune time. And then we have the fake seizure. And then we have the scramble for the gun and then they run off. Jim gives Aaron sass about not getting the gun and they have like banter about it and they get shot at and that sends them off into the stream. And then we have them running around in the bushes, cutting back and forth to the car. So we establish that they're racing back to see who gets back to the car first, them or the other goon. Mm -hmm. They get to the car first. The driver uh, are, let's say he's undercover in this one. (laughs) Yeah. But our driver's waiting, but he's not paying attention. Then Rockford sneaks up on him, punches his lights out. They get in the car, but then Chekhov's flo- flooded radiator goes off. Yeah. <laughs> then they get shot at a final time and hits the windshield and then the cops come.
1: Yeah. After the windshield shot and before the cops come, and also while the cops are there, there are quite a few gunshots that go off. Yeah. And that part's a little, hmm. Yeah. The cops are arriving, they're shooting while the cops are pulling in, Right. and then one cop shoots right near them, and that's when they surrender. <laughs> it's a little awkward at that point, but looking past that.
0: So there, it's a lot more fine-grained, right, of right. Like, not only are we seeing the action of them escaping the situation, we also get to see them have some character interplay, we get to see Rockford being better at making snap decisions, there's more... Threaded into it as a sequence, as opposed to kind of the fight that's just about who's going to make yeah. their make their big point, because the goal of this scene is actually just to get us to the end of the story for the most part.
1: Yeah, it's still a nice payoff for the sort of relationship arc that we've had through this right, whole right cuz
0: we see them ha- trust each other and work together yeah. for the first time in the episode
1: like straight down to when Rockford divies up their responsibilities <laughs> when they're going to go to get to the car he's like I'll, I'll I'll punch this guy out you get in the car so it makes me wonder about that decision in light of like is this Rockford doing the thing he's always done for him to like fighting the fights because when has Rockford let anyone else drive <laughs>
0: or now that he's taken a couple of aaron's punches does he know that he should punch the guy
1: yeah uh i also want to create a little bit of a fan theory about this actually being billings undercover who is undercover with them because dennis ran the plate
0: (laughs) that's all how it all connects that it's billings undercover but they never communicated with the fbi And that's why Billings isn't actually paying that much attention, because he doesn't want to shoot Jim.
1: It it explains why when Jim taps him on the shoulder, he just kind of politely turns around like, Hey, what's up? (laughs) Bam!
0: (laughs) Like, it's Billings, you idiot! That is our new fan theory, that Billings was undercover this whole time.
1: It also explains why uh, Agent Patrick was going to charge Rockford (laughs) with... With assault and battery. (laughs) Yeah. You beat a
0: cop up, you idiot. I like that. That's our new theory. Um, but yeah, so, so just, uh, Touch back to what I said earlier about transitions. Yes. So this fight is about transitioning our protagonists out of danger. They're going to get executed. And at the end, they're safe, mm-hmm. uh, which is as good a reason to have a fight as a big character revelation. Yeah. But I like that those two things, because they have a different kind of transition, they can both live in the episode. And it's not like, oh, another fight.
1: What makes this fight fun is the setup in the car ride over. Yes. I mean, there's fun things that happen, and of course, some bits of it will be even more nonsensical if you hadn't seen the car ride over. But it's them formulating the plan and both working together to annoy their captors.
0: <laughs> right. They use their sense of humor as a weapon.
1: Yeah. It's it's almost as if they're enjoying what's happening. They probably do on some level and don't. On other levels,
0: there's a there's a bit of fatalism to it that is like pretty enjoyable to watch. Yeah, we're going to get killed. That's the worst yeah. case. So <laughs> we might as well try and have some fun while we're doing it. Because yeah. what they can't kill us any deader. They can only <laughs> yes. kill us once. So for for a character driven episode, this one has some some good fighting things in it that uh, i'm glad you decided to
1: highlight for us the last bit i'm trying to okay this has nothing to do with anything we've said before i just have like a question mm-hmm. when rockford first got the cashier's check he went to a loan office right
0: so he walks out of a building that says savings and loan on the side oh okay, so, so I, I assumed that was a bank But he doesn't deposit it because he gives it to Aaron. So maybe he put it in a safety deposit box.
1: That could be. Yeah. Okay. Because there was a moment watching the show where I was trying to figure out if Rockford was going to somehow work some interest out of it. (laughs) So he shoots for the the 22 million. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he knows at that point, whatever the 20 million is about, he's not going to end up with it. So he wants to get the extra 2 million out of it. And then if he doesn't get that, I was like, if he uses that as collateral for a loan, no, he just loses money there. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out if you had $20 million for, what, two days, a day and a half? Yeah, what can you do to get money out of that without, like, gambling or something like that? Just wanted to bring it up because it was stuck in the back of my head. Aside from that.
0: <laughs> Aside from that, I feel like I've uh, covered
1: what you wanted to say about this one. I think uh, we've earned our 200 for the day.
0: I think so, too. Not our 200 million, unfortunately. No. (laughs) We're not running any prosperity gospel pyramid schemes over here. Not yet. But if you did want to give us some money, you can always check out (laughs) patreon.com slash 200 a day. Not saying, just saying.
1: Dare to win.
0: Dare to be free. Yes. Well, with that, I think we're pretty much done here. So we will come back to you next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.